hello and welcome to Terrace Memoirs episode six, where we basically look into the world of football club supporterdom. With me today is we are well, we are taking a hypothetical walk down the Gloucester Road in Bristol. Um Kaz May joins me, Bristol Rovers fan for how many years, Kaz? Uh oh god, good question. So when I was twelve and now I'm twenty-six. So 13 years 14 years 14 years right so um and in that time let's let's face it it's been it's been quite a topsy-turvy time following the world of the uh, world of the gas um quick intro myself i'm dave harris reading fan for 30 plus years um season ticket holder for 20 plus years um Thankfully, we don't get to talk about Reading Nil Bristol Rovers six in this podcast. Um, <laughs> that I think might just put the muckers completely on my whole weekend. Um, <laughs> it was my birthday this weekend, but Reading doing Reading things put a complete downer on it with their demise from the playoffs. Um, but I can imagine that's not a patch on how Cas feels, uh, given um, events that transpired in the northern part of Bristol this weekend with a relegation. Um, those of us who have followed football league clubs and some Premier League clubs will know what relegation feels like, but um, it, it's never good in the cats, let's face it. So this is my third relegation now. Um, <laughs> actually, <laughs> uh, I was just saying about how I haven't been a fan for, you know, only 14 years and this is my third relegation. So uh, it's not as bad as the time we dropped out of the league, um, but... Sadly, it's it still hurts nonetheless. Um, yeah, it's uh, it was one that we sort of could foresee coming all season, to be honest. Um, if you ask any gas head, it was no shock that it was confirmed this weekend. Whereas the other relegations I've seen went down to the final day, but this one was just yeah, you could see it coming a mile off. I know in February that we were down when we couldn't beat Wigan, and then we failed to beat any of the other teams around us. Um, yeah, it was just. It's just been pathetic yeah. <laughs> all season. Um, that Wigan game, sorry, that Wigan game you spoke of, that was just after Joey Barton arrived, wasn't it? And was it a late winner for Wigan in that game? Yeah, that's right. So Joey had only been in charge a day, um, so absolutely not his fault at all. And Joey did feel like the right appointment to get us out of this scrap. Um, and then to have such little time before the first game and it be a big relegation six-pointer was a lot of pressure on his shoulders straight away um but to be honest it, yeah it just didn't really work out how we thought it would we thought that it, it wasn't just gas heads that believed he'd be the right man to save us there was fans from all, all over um the country supporting all, all sorts of clubs saying that they believed that it was the right appointment for us but yeah it just didn't happen because we've just got a team full of gutless spineless <laughs> players who, who just have no desire to uh to win games in a relegation battle it would seem yeah, yeah. Um, so, but but by and large, um, with a, a season or pre-season with Joey Barton, presumably Barton is going to stay, um, on the assumption that he stays. Is, is, it, is there still a degree of positivity going into next season, provided he has a good pre-season, or do we think that perhaps um, COVID finances might hit and uh, not a lot of um, movement in and out will be will be forthcoming? So it's it's quite divided in the fan base with people being positive, um, wanting Barton to stay on, but there's people that 
were negative from the start when he was first appointed and they want him out. But it's looking likely he's going to stay. He said he's in it for the long run. He's determined to get Bristol Rovers back to uh, where, where they belong to be. Um, he doesn't want to manage a League Two club and he's now got a relegation on his CV. So he'd be looking to balance that out with a promotion next season, I'm sure. Um, we're quite fortunate that our um, owner is uh, backing us. Um, he's been keeping us afloat throughout the pandemic. Um, he's uh, built, started building a new training ground, which is great news for us. Um, so that's in progress. And then there's a, hopefully a new stadium on the horizon in the near future. So he's in it for the long run too. He's, he's backing us. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm fairly certain he's going to give Joey Barton an open checkbook next season and just say, get who you want in because he he'll be determined to go straight back up at the first attempt. So yeah. Yeah, I'm confident that that it's not going to be, uh, there's not going to be any financial struggles for us next year. No, that's good. Good to hear. On the, on the new stadium front, obviously about 10 years ago, I think it was, uh, you had the, the site at the um, University of West of England or UWE. Yeah. Um, and which never came to any fruition. I think, I think if I remember right in saying it was something to do with um, Sainsbury's not buying the land at the MEM. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, that's exactly it. So, so Sainsbury's did, um, and it was all going through. And I think, I, I don't know too much about, you know, everything that went into it. I don't know. I'm not too in the know about it. But um, I think it was all agreed. And then Rovers then started to work on the new site, that, you know, assuming everything was going through. And then Sainsbury's pulled out. Um, so obviously then it was this big legal battle about if should they be able to pull out um, contracts have been signed, it all went to court, um, but there was a loophole in the contract um, that our chairman at the time didn't foresee. Um, so we, we lost at the court battle, basically, and uh, yeah. it all fell through. But yeah, that was the last time we had any sort of um, any sort of positivity about a new stadium coming forward. But yeah, it all fell through. So um, there's been talks that we're going to get we were going to get the fruit market site by Temple Meads train station, um, which mm -hmm. is quite, quite far out from where we are at the moment. Um, but it, it, the pandemic just delays everything. So um, it'd be interesting to see if that comes about when things are a bit more normal again. Going back to the beginning then. So um, you say you're 26 now and you were 12 um, when that fire was first lit. Um, Am I right in saying that if my math is correct, that brings you to 2007? Is that right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. Glory season, yeah. <laughs> yes, I think there's a playoff final involved in this, isn't there? Would I? Am I going down the right lines and thinking that Wembley might have been your first game, or um, are we? Uh, well, tell us all about it. Well, you're half along the right lines. My first game was actually the JPT final, which happened to be oh, in the same okay. season. Um, so, yeah, the JPT final, it was Bristol Rovers versus Doncaster. Um, in Cardiff, wasn't it? It was, yeah, Millennium Stadium. And, um, yeah, funnily enough, and this always shocks people when I say, but my dad and brothers are actually Bristol City fans. <laughs> um, yeah, nice. <laughs> Trust me. Um, but my mum is Bristol Rovers, so I had the choice growing up um, who I wanted to support. And um, I went to Bristol City, but I think I was just too young at the time, and I just hated every second of it. I thought it was too too um, aggressive. I didn't like the people shouting and swearing, and uh, I think my dad just made a mistake there, taking me too soon. Um, and then. So I hated football as a kid. I, I really didn't like anything to do with it. So whenever it was on the telly, I would complain. Whenever it was on the radio, I, I, I would moan at dad, said I want music instead. 
And then something, I don't know what it was, just clicked in me. And I asked my mum if she wouldn't mind taking me to the JPT final in Cardiff. Um, and she was like, really? Like she was over the moon. Cause you think that poor woman, she's got her husband and her two sons that have gone to the red side. <laughs> um, so she was yeah, absolutely over the moon with it. Um, so she said, yeah, of course I'll take you. Um, and then I remember we got the train and uh, I just loved everything about it. From the second I stepped foot in Cardiff, it was just a sea of blue and white. Um, it was, the atmosphere was buzzing. Um, everyone was really friendly. Everyone made me feel like I was only 12 years old, but I felt like I was included as one of the adults. So I was absolutely loving it. Um, and yeah, mum bought me a flag. Uh, so I had my own flag and uh, we lost 3-2 that game. Um, I think we went 2-0 down, pulled it back to 2 all, and then lost 3-2, but that wasn't enough to put me off. I absolutely loved it. It was the atmosphere, it was the fans. It was just everything, everything in, in a whole nutshell of that day just made me want to go back and then luckily a few weeks later I was in Wembley Stadium and then mm-hmm. watching, us, watching us get promoted so yeah was... that's why my life is miserable now. <laughs> <laughs> so was that um, I'm trying to think now was that under Paul Trollope? It was yeah. Yeah yeah uh, so the beginning of his uh, of, of his of his managerial tenure there. Um, I mean, Doncaster Rovers back then they were they were a very good side weren't they because they they it was on their kind of rise up to the championship um, they they played a playoff final uh, their playoff final I think was a year later in League One um, and they they uh, they beat Leeds that year so we coincided with a relegation with Reading from the Premier League and we played them that that season um, so to to actually you know push them all the way like that it's no no mean feat but of course as you say the um the playoff final that was against Shrewsbury wasn't it yeah um and I've, I've still got because because one of the players who scored that day is uh, is very popular in Reading little tiny diminutive man Sammy Igo um <laughs> right in the last minute wasn't it the Shrewsbury keeper had gone up it, um there were two one down Shrewsbury keeper's gone up for a corner or a free kick or something and um Sammy Igo, his legs wouldn't take him to the, all the way. He just, he just belted with it from the halfway line, didn't he? And it just trickled in right in front of your fans. Oh, and I'll tell you what, the, fr- yeah. the, the, fra- the phrase that gets used these days is limbs. And it is, you know, <laughs> one of the good things about Rovers is they do have good limbs. Um, yeah. Yeah, I could, so that w- I can imagine that, that having gone from the defeat in a, in a, in a trophy final um, to, to that, that's, well, that's um, from the sublime to the ridiculous in your first two games, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that Sammy Igo goal is just something I'll never, ever forget. The atmosphere when, when he was running, which felt, felt to all of us like slow motion. Um, it was, you're, you're completely right of how it went. It was, uh, we were 2-1 up and then it shows we scored from that corner that they had right in the, at the very death and they level it. Then it could have been game over and we could have ended up losing it. So it was real heart in the mouth sort of. Uh, scenes going on and then when uh, their keeper was up obviously because it was right in the last minute they had to do everything they could and when it fell to Sammy and it was the roar when he was running and it was all I remember hearing is run Sammy run run Sammy run and he was (laughs) his little legs as he was running was just it was just I could never explain how amazing it was to watch that live I was sat right on the halfway line at Wembley and he was running right in front of me and Derek Asamoah was uh, playing for Shrewsbury and he was catching up with him he was he was such a fast player and all you could see was Derek Asamoah just closing in on him so then it turned from run Sammy run to shoot Sammy shoot and it was just yeah that second year and the slowest I I mean I watch it back now and I'm still not convinced it's going to go in it's just like the slowest (laughs) 
ball rolling ever and then you're just waiting for it to cross the line there was another Shrewsbury player chasing that ball down and if he had slid probably a second earlier he may have got to it and saved it but it, yeah it when it trickled over the line it was just pure euphoria in that stadium and it was yeah no wonder I am obsessed with this club now because that moment is just something that I'll I'll be on my deathbed and I'll be remembering that moment it was just <laughs> yeah it was incredible yeah yeah it's, it, I mean one of the um one of my previous guests a good friend of mine Neil Maskell uh, I think it was said that you never forget your first promotion yeah. Um, and of course, it's happened. Obviously, with you know, within within the first couple of games for you, um, <laughs> and of course, as you say, that's that's going to absolutely embed itself um, mm-hmm. in in your memory. Um, so, but so then, of course, you go, you've you've, you've gained the promotion, you've got that uh, that euphoria. You go in to um, League One. Did you start going a lot more regularly um, after that in two thousand and seven, or was it still sort of a gradual? Uh, sort of uptake of games as it were yeah the set the second that we got promoted I was I was pestering my mum every single week I was like can we can we go to this away game can we go to that one I can't remember if we got a season ticket straight away um but me and mum both got um season ticket at some point I think we did in 2008 the season after um and we were sat in seats on the side because mum likes to it's not like me where I love to be in the rowdy end so we, we were sat in the seats and she likes to get a good view and uh that season after t- 2008 we went on this epic FA Cup run she's she was probably looking at me going how is my little 12 year old daughter seeing one of the best <laughs> memories and she's like 50 and she's not seen like any of it um yeah, we went this epic cup run um, the season after. We got to the quarterfinals. Um, we beat Fulham when they were in the Premiership. They had Jimmy Bullard playing. Um, our keeper saved a penalty from Bullard. Um, and then we beat Southampton as well. Uh, that was we... on the TV, wasn't it, the Southampton game? Was it 1-0 Ricky Lambert free kick? That's it. God, your memory is incredible. Um, yeah, it, yeah, Ricky Lambert free kick. Obviously, they signed him not long after that. Um but yeah, it's just like we just felt this crazy run and we were just thought, God, we are one game away from Wembley. And then West Brom, Ishmael Miller just absolutely destroyed us <laughs> on our own patch. But uh, yeah, yeah they, just... were, they were very, very good, though, in, a, in an attacking sense, West Brom. Um, yeah. And they could they could do that to anybody in, in the championship. So you did yeah. get it back to 2-1 very early on because they, they scored two very early goals, didn't they? Yeah, you got it back it. to 2-1, but then they they counter they sat back and counter-attacked, if I remember rightly. But, but even that, even yeah, just getting that one goal was just... Uh, we, I just we were just on fire. Yeah, like they were those two years, we were just on fire. Just like, couldn't believe it. A JPT final, a playoff final, and then the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. It's just like, yeah, what, what a time to start supporting the club. Um, uh, all been absolutely. downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, but there must have been, you know, on the back of those, um, those cup runs, there must have been... An, um, a sense that something could be happening in terms of progression up the league because I don't think you ever finished higher, well certainly not any higher than than, than upper mid table, should we say ninth or tenth. Um, yeah. And was, I think um, you know, certainly with the when he had the likes of Lambert um, and oh god, who was the other guy who scored an absolute hatful? Richard um, Walker. Richard Walker. Mm. Um, with those two, um, and obviously you know feeding off the supply line, I just I just felt looking at it from the outside back then, it was a bit of a shame that you couldn't quite, you know, uh, sort of progress and, and at least reach the playoffs and and uh, and, and hassle the, uh, the the upper echelons of the division. Um, what what was the what was the reason for that? Do you think? 
I think we just made a lot of bad decisions. Um, I remember when Paul Trollope was sacked and I didn't think that was the correct decision. He'd uh, just lost in a, I think it was a, was it JPT? It might have been JPT that he just lost on penalties to Exeter and uh, they sacked him shortly after that. But Trollope was a good manager um, and we were doing all right in League One with him. So I, I remember being surprised at the time that they did that. Um, but yeah, I think it, we've made a lot of mistakes in terms of recruitment. Um, we had a board that were just clueless, to be honest. Um, before Whale Arcadi took over, it was a bit of a mess. We were plunging into debt. He's just cleared 30 million, I might be wrong about that figure, but around 30 million pounds of debt. Um, it, yeah, it was just all going a bit wrong. I think it was just the way the club was was being ran. It's just been, yeah, not, not great. Um, Daryl Clark is the only successful manager we've had in the last few years, to be honest. We've had... And we've had a lot of them. <laughs> we haven't had a lot of managers. Because I remember seeing Paul Tisdale's record at Exeter and thinking, God, they had the same manager for 12 years. And to me, that's not normal because I've seen so many managers in and out of my football club that I, I can't... I think the longest we've had is Daryl Clark of four years in the last yeah. like, 20 years or something. Um, and Daryl got us quite close. Um, you know, we, we were going towards playoffs and then... Um, Bristol City came in and took our top scorer uh, and then it, we, we missed out from there. I think we finished about 10th and that's yeah the highest I can remember us finishing um, in my whole time of supporting Rovers and seeing them at League One level. But yeah. yeah, it's just the way the club's been run. I think it's just like lots of bad bad decisions being made and that's still happening now, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Well, sure, we'll get there one day. <laughs> I was thinking about the um, the season that you went down mm. um, and, and, and around that time, and I, you were appointing managers that I thought would do a good job there. I'm mm. looking at the likes of, um, oh, God, um, the Dave, Dave Penny. Um, Dave Penny, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at uh, Paul Buckle, mm-hmm. um, John Ward, who obviously has a history at, at Rovers, I think I'm right in saying. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Paul Tisdale. The only thing that I would say with Tisdale, you mentioned him earlier, is that he would. I've always thought that he needs time. Mm. that you don't necessarily get to build his squad and, and, and instill his philosophy. You're right, he did really, really, really well at Exeter. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's it, it didn't strike me as though Bristol Rovers was a very good fit for him because he wasn't going to get the time, given what was happening around other managers and the, the, the need to, to at least maintain, um, maintain league status. Yeah, I think Tisdale, with Exeter, he was very good at developing the youth. Um, he, he would make something out of these young players and get them playing well. And obviously, you look at like Ollie Watkins and where he's gone. Um, I just think, yeah, like you said, Rovers wasn't really the right fit for him. He didn't do very well with MK Dons in his little stint in League One with them. Um, he's just not a League One manager, I don't think. And for us, he had... He had the January transfer window, so he had he had something where he could start assembling his own squad. Um, but he put all his eggs in one basket for Jaden Stockley, and then missed out on Jaden Stockley because he went to Charlton. Obviously, money talks. Um, so we ended up going into the rest of the season without a striker that we so desperately needed. Um, mm. Lack of goals is what sent us down, and we were crying out for a striker for so long. And uh, he failed to do that. And that, I think, is a massive factor as to why we've gone down. I, I do put a lot of blame on Tisdale for our relegation, purely because yeah. of that. Yeah. So, time progresses, clearly. Um, you 
as, as, as seasons go by, obviously you get older, you start establishing really your own identity as a woman at football. Um, following the gas, presumably you're following them around the country um, by sort of the age of sort of, I don't know, we're talking about 17, 18, maybe even older. Um, are you still going with your mum or are you starting to establish um, uh, friendships outside of, uh, outside of the family base at this point? Oh, she's a little glory supporter. She is. She doesn't come to as many, <laughs> half as many games as I do. Um, she's kind of gone, right, you take over now. Because she used to be exactly like me. She used to go with all her friends to Blackpool away and do a weekender. Um, but she's kind of got to that age now where she's fed up of, of Rovers. Not doing very well, so she's she doesn't go. She only turns up for the big games now. Um, but... Yeah, I, I go. I try to go as many, to as many as I can. To be honest, unless it's it's really poor, I can't imagine I would have gone to many this season if fans were allowed. To be honest, but um, yeah, I do enjoy it. I, I've got such a great group of friends that I've met through football. Um, I've got quite a few different friendship groups, which is quite nice because there's always someone to go with. Um, and if you want to do an away day, there's always someone that's going to be up for it. Um, yeah, so I'm very lucky with the community that that we've got at this club, to be honest, because I've yeah met so many great people that I consider some of my best friends now, um, which is really, really lovely. Uh, and yeah, we try, we try and just do as, as many as we can. Um, away days, we've done We've done all sorts. We've already made the guys that I do the podcast with. We've already made a pack that we're going to do Harrogate away next year. No matter mm-hmm. what the circumstances, we're going to do Harrogate. I'm really keen to do Barrow as well. You know, when this place is a, you know, you really shouldn't go, but you kind of want to go. Um, yeah, so it's really nice to have that little community and, and the people to do these away days with. Yeah, sure. So um, just um, you're looking at these little grounds. Would, would, would you consider yourself a ground hopper, a football league ground hopper, trying to do the '92? Yeah, I'm on about 46 now. I need to review it because um, there's been some some I've lost. I think Brentford have moved into their new stadium now, so yeah, I have to yeah. get rid of that one. Um, so, yeah, and I, I try and count it as football league, so whoever's dropped out. So I think Southend are about to drop out the football league, so I would have lost that one. Um, so, yeah, the, the aim is to do as many as I possibly can. Um, I absolutely love travelling the country watching my team. I love having the excuse to go to all these places. Um, yeah. And then there's places you go and if we take you know what you mentioned earlier we do take quite a large following to a lot of these places and you go you go to a random place in Plymouth and you're seeing a lot of people that you know and that you see from back home and it's quite nice having that little community feel at these away days everyone's there for the same reason and the atmosphere is just amazing away days are 10 times better than home games I don't need to to tell anyone that but um yeah I try I try and get to as many as I possibly can and uh the more um random the better so yeah stevenage on a tuesday night why not <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think um certainly if you do them on the train and with you with you got a, a, a well, it doesn't matter how big the group is if you're going with a friend or a group of friends um you're all going for the same reason you know and, and it almost invariably i think there's almost always a story to tell um, mm. on the back of it uh you go absolutely miles and miles and miles you know, from, you, know you could go 300 miles north up to newcastle or middlesbrough or wherever part of the pool um and you know beforehand drinks on the train pub beforehand get drinks on the train on the way back and always that 90 minutes in the middle is generally a bit of a disappointment <laughs> um, it's a bit inconvenient to be honest isn't it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but no, if you if you yeah that the whole experience of following a football club and that camaraderie is 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 is, is all part of the draw isn't it yeah. and you yeah. do meet and certainly my 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 primary friendship group, friendship group as well, are uh, 
um, I've met them through football. Um, and, you know, following Reading through that, you know, pretty much through their glory years was when I was doing all of my away days. Um, mm. So I know, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. Um, you're watching the gas. You've, you've, you've seen them in League One. You've seen them in League Two. And we touched on it earlier um, that there's this quite hideous relegation. And it was, a, was it a 1-0 defeat at home to Mansfield that saw you drop into the bottom two mm-hmm. for the first time that season on the last day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you spent that one season in, um, in, in, the, in the conference or the, the National League. Yeah. Coming, coming from a supporter that hasn't even seen my club be anywhere near close to that, how mm-hmm. does that feel? Do you know what? Like, I would never, I never want to experience that feeling again. Um, when we were in that stadium, and it was in our hands, it was absolutely in our hands. I actually saw the um, the table earlier because it came up as I think it's to this day in 2014 is is when we were above the relegation zone. Wickham had dropped down, and um, we were three points ahead. And because you beat Wickham the week before, didn't you? We the did. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, Park. David Clarkson. Um, and then it was from then it was it was in our hands. Absolutely in our hands. All we needed to do was get a point. Don't concede. Um, the problem was is that if Wickham had won, the goal difference was so tight. Um, we were on minus 10, they were on minus eleven. But no one really truly believed that we were gonna mess it up. <laughs> I mm. just thought you cannot. I even look at it now and I'm like, how did we go down? Uh, but it's it's that complacency, isn't it? You just say they they thought they'd done it. Um and then yeah, it's just the the atmosphere, um, when that goal went in and everyone was aware of what was going on elsewhere. It was kind of that desperation then. Everyone was calling out saying, you need to win, you need to score, we're going down, we're going down. And the players, like, to be fair, they put in a shift and it was probably about, I think I counted about 26 shots, I think, in the stats or something. We were having a shot, hitting the bar, hitting the post, saved. It was, it was, nothing was going our way and the fans were screaming out for a goal. And then the moment that final whistle went, you couldn't hear a pin drop in that stadium. Yeah. It was apart from like the the very few Mansfield fans <laughs> shoved in the corner. Um, it was flat, and it was kind of like everyone was sort of looking at each other in disbelief, and no one could quite digest what had just happened. And I would say it was probably about five minutes of this just glum, flat atmosphere, and then the anger started coming out. So it yeah. was like it was it was really toxic suddenly in that stadium, and then people just lost it. And then people started climbing over, uh, pushing students out the way, go, going on the pitch, running over towards the board um, who were in their box and people were were just going mad. People were trying to fight the uh, Mansfield fans in the corner because apparently there was City fans in the Mansfield end. Um, so it was, oh, it's just horrible. And for me, just experiencing that, I just couldn't believe it. I don't think I left the ground for about two to three hours after the final whistle. I just sat mm-hmm. there on that terrace um, in the sun, just staring at the pitch, just couldn't, couldn't quite believe what had happened. First time yeah. in 94 years. Um, I've seen the euphoria when I was a kid growing up and thinking that we were going somewhere um, and to drop out the way that we did. Um, it just felt it just felt cruel. It felt unfair. It felt numbing. Um, I, yeah, I would never wish that sort of feeling on anyone. 
Um, my mum was actually on holiday because she thought it was she thought it was all fine, but obviously she put the holiday a long time ago. But to have my mum away as well, um, and I was living at home at the time, so I'd gone home and it was an empty house, and it was just yeah, the feeling for probably about I would say two weeks, it was just horrible. I didn't want I didn't yeah. want to talk about it. I didn't I didn't want to think about it. Um, and then once it was it had all sunk in and the dust had settled a bit you then start to think, okay, is it that bad? We just go again, maybe we rebuild. But yeah, I, I cannot explain how horrendous relegation out of the Football League is when when you, you're a club of, of the size of Bristol Rovers. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Very, very well put. And I think um, what the, if anything, that goes to demonstrate, and I think a lot of a lot of supporters who have been in that situation will resonate, uh, is, is just how, um, how much a football club can affect somebody's emotions. Mm. Um, and I remember, again, I remember, I remember plenty of times where I felt exactly like like that um, in some ways. In a slightly yeah. more positive spin, from my from my perspective, I can remember feeling devastated after we lost an FA Cup quarter final to to Villa uh, mm. back in two thousand and ten. We were two 0 up at half time. We lost four two. I've not seen my team play well until that up until that point. I hadn't seen my team play in a semi final, an FA Cup semi final. We'd only ever been in that once. Mm. Um, so I know I, I have an idea of how that feels, but as I say, um, as I mentioned before, my club have never even come close to that. But I suppose um, one way of looking at it is it's character building. It's often often stated that you follow a football club in a, in a, in, a, in the um, nicest possible way, a run of the mill football club like Bristol Rovers, like Reading, like Cardiff, like yeah. uh, Plymouth Argyle, or whoever, um, and it, it builds your character and to mm-hmm. to appreciate the highs which, as we mentioned before, you're very lucky to experience very early on, you've got to go through the lows. Yeah. Um, and from what I understand, certainly from your, um, your Twitter profile, your, um, your social media profile, um, and what you've um, uh, put into the various podcasts that you've, um, that you've sat in on, shall we say, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll come to in a bit, um, you follow your club, you know, come what may, that is, you know, that, again, that, that just. So, you're, you, what we can say is that we, that you'll you'll appreciate those highs. And of course, you've had two highs since then. You had the playoff final, the National League playoff final, the season yeah. after. You, you you were lucky enough to only have one season down there. Yeah. Um. Uh. And then, of course, Dagenham and Redbridge two seasons later. One. Um, it was one season later, it was back to back, which was yeah, yeah, incredible, yeah, yeah. So, but just go back to that National League season. So, um, the t- sort of teams that you'll have been playing, there, there are lots of ex-league teams down there. Mm-hmm. And again, if I can refer back to my, uh, my my friend, who I mentioned earlier, Neil, mm-hmm. uh, who I had on an episode two. I don't know if you've listened to any of them, but he, he's a maiden. He's um, a permanent employee at Maidenhead United, who are obviously National League status now. Um, yeah. And some of their fans, I don't know if this was if this was uh, this was coined beforehand or whether it's a made net Unitedism, but they describe a lot of the or the uh, the the National League teams, the ex League teams, as belts, um, which stands for bitter ex League teams, because <laughs> um, a lot of teams have gone to York Road in Maidenhead and been and been turned over, and mm. they don't they don't like it much. <laughs> um, would you would you? You, you, so you, you obviously won more than you lost. You ended the season on a high with that promotion. But what was it actually like following following an ex league team in the national league? Yeah, I mean it, it was it was interesting because for us, 
um when we started winning everyone then sort of got the bug and everyone wanted to go and and uh, experience these these lower league grounds um uh, because we kind of got the feeling that actually we might not get to do this again so because we start we, we were doing really well and um so it was, it was the likes of like Kidderminster, Telford, Nuneaton. You kind of, there's something about, like I said earlier, something about shouldn't be going, you re- makes you really want to go. And because we were such a big fan base in this league, we were selling out every single week and we were doubling the gates of a lot of these teams. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, it was quite, yeah, it was odd. It, it did feel like we were, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but like it did feel like we were too big for that league. It felt like, what are we doing here? It was, it was ridiculous. But um, at the same time, you sympathise for these smaller clubs because you do have this intimidating away crowd that are literally doubling your gates. You know, we were taking 1,500. They were loving it. They didn't care if we were outselling the home fans because they were just taking the money and, and the gate receipts so they were they didn't mind it um but yeah it was uh it was so much fun it was just brilliant um obviously I wouldn't have been saying that if we weren't winning every week um right at the start of the season we actually had quite a bad start and funnily enough um it worked out on a day I had a friend who supports Man United and he's got a season ticket with them and he gets tickets um so he, he was able to get me a ticket to go and watch Man U. So I watched Man U versus Swansea at Old Trafford at half 12 on a Saturday. And <laughs> then we drove round the corner and we watched Ultra versus Bristol Rovers at three o'clock. <laughs> yeah, so that's the, right next door to each other, aren't they, pretty much? So, yeah, yeah nice, nice little quirk of the fixed list, that. So the contrast between being at Old Trafford to then going to Ultranham was hilarious it was it was it cut you kind of appreciate the beauty of it though um and I absolutely loved it I loved visiting these non-league clubs and seeing how they run um compared to the bigger places that I've been like Fulham and uh Birmingham and like yeah Southampton all those sorts of places it's it was quite a nice refreshing experience Mm -hmm. um with Ultranham we we were a bit late because of the traffic from Old Trafford and uh, the turnstiles were shut by the time we got there. It was probably about quarter past three. We mm-hmm. knocked on this little uh, rickety wooden door and the steward answers. And he said, all right, fiver each. <laughs> Gave him a fiver. <laughs> and he, he took us through. We went through, um, like, past the changing rooms. We walked out of the tunnel. So we were walking past Daryl Clark and the subs on the bench, the game's going on. <laughs> but, yeah, just, you know, just choose whatever seat you want up there. And we just went yeah, just, the just... stand. You should have sat on the bench. Yeah. Here's a game, Daryl. They were looking at us like, oh, what, what are they doing over there? It was just, it, that sort of stuff I absolutely love, um, just seeing the, the difference. Like, you, that wouldn't have ever happened at Old Trafford. Oh, God, no, <laughs> or, any, no. or anywhere in any football league club. Um, but, yeah, I, I really, I absolutely loved it. I loved going to these uh, non-league grounds. And, uh, yeah, it was, it's easily the best season I've had as a gas said, 100%. It was just yeah. so much. And, and yeah really great memories from it yeah that's that's good to hear actually um i'm sure if i was to speak to a wrexham fan or um or a, a fan of a similar club who's been at that level for a number of years the, the viewpoint may be slightly different might be might be the same at the start but but it, it was obviously important to get promoted it, it's clearly important to get promoted as soon as you possibly can from that division you did it at the first attempt um, another trip to wembley another win at wembley was that a relief I mean, Bristol Rovers, we never, ever make it easy for ourselves. I would say, why can't we just go out and win 3-0 in a a final? Why do we always have to leave it to the last kick of the game? Uh, With that Wembley one, last kick of the game, the Sammy Igo one, last kick of the game, 
with the, the Dagenham and Redbridge one for the autos, that was 90 plus two. Uh, it's just, all, it's never easy. And it's, yeah, that Wembley, um, it was it was so important for us to go back up. We needed to go straight back up. We were, we were in free fall. We were plunging further and further into debt. Um, we wouldn't have been taken over by the Alcades. Um, so our owner that I mentioned earlier, who has cleared our debts and keeping us afloat, we wouldn't have had that had we not gone up that season. Um, so it was really, really important. And yeah, it was just pure relief, to be honest. Um, it, it could have gone either way. We didn't turn up that day. We, I don't think we were very good at all. Um, if anything, Grinsby looked a slightly better side. We looked like we could have had a red card because our keeper came out and handballed it outside the area. How the ref didn't give a red card, I don't know. Um, but the moment that that ball hit the back of the net and Lee Mansell stepped up, it's, I stood next to mum and obviously I, we've gone from last season to her phoning me from Italy when she was on holiday after we got relegated at two o'clock in the morning in tears because she was so gutted about us going down to me and her holding hands watching Lee Mansell step up to take this penalty and just both of us going, come on Lee, come on Lee. You just like, you know what penalty shootouts are like. They are the the worst things in the world unless they go in your favour. And uh yeah, it was. It, my heart was beating so fast when he when he stepping up. Felt like the longest walk up to the penalty spot ever. Um, and I remember Mum just turning around to me saying, "If he scores this, we're promoted." And I was like, "Don't say that! Don't say that!" <laughs> um, and yeah, he, he he did so well. Obviously, massive pressure on his shoulders. We scored five out of five. Bang! Top corner the whole place just exploded again and then <laughs> the whole line I was with a few a few girls and um my mum and all of us were in tears it was just pure relief um pure euphoria so many emotions just like rolling into one and yeah it was Daryl Clark ran over to the gas heads and he basically held his arms up and everyone was cheering and yeah it was it was absolutely amazing uh, it was that if I could bottle that feeling up to to keep forever I would pay all the money in the world because it's just you cannot replicate it anywhere else no absolutely and i think um you mentioned lee mansell taking the the final penalty um mm -hmm. he um and he'd also he'd, he'd also already won a, a national league playoff final so he had that in his um, in his belt he's such um, a great bloke he, he's honestly he's someone you want at your football club um we do really miss him we still got him at the club actually um but we miss him in the in the dressing room as as a team player because yeah, he's so great. And he um he actually came out after and said he missed both of his penalties in training uh, when they were <laughs> when they were practicing for the <laughs> penalty shootout. So you can imagine his heart must have been in his mouth stepping up at Wembley. But yeah, fair play to him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think every club needs that as well. They need they need not just good characters, but nice characters as well. Somebody who um who 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 can just um interact with the fan base and the fan base will just mm. respond respond to that. Every yeah. club needs that. So from um, standing there on the sidelines, um, watching the game, taking it in as a regular supporter, um, there came a point in time, clearly, when you moved into the world of podcasting. Um, just give us a quick rundown of what podcasts you um, are involved in um, and some of the things that have been, uh, been offered, shall we say, on the back of that. I'm thinking about BBC Radio Bristol um, and uh, another sort of podcast, like this podcast, for this very own podcast. Um, yeah. Um, so, uh, so I run Gascast podcast with five 
other Rovers fans. And uh, I've always supported the lads when they first started it up. I, I was always a regular listener. Um, and I thought it was a great idea. I thought it's exactly what our fan base needs. Um, they just need that extra platform where they they just get a bit extra from the club because sometimes you don't always get that and it's nice to hear other people's opinions and we we do exclusive interviews and stuff like that um and to be honest like I've, I've never really thought in my mind that I would ever be part of a podcast um I've been more of a an editor um a video editor because that's my day job so I would always cut little videos together of like rovers goals and highlights um and it got to a stage where um, the the boys had done a fantastic interview with Daryl Clark, obviously after he's left the club, and it was all Daryl reflecting on the back to back promotions and the relegation and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I said to the lads, I said, "Oh, would you mind if you could you send me the audio because I'd like to cut a video with the highlights of the promotion and the relegation like, over the top of Daryl's interview." And they said, yeah, sounds great, sounds great. Obviously, as long as you credit us. I was like, yeah, absolutely. So it was kind of like a collaboration between both of us. So I did that. The video did really well. The guys were crying over it. They said it made them really emotional. And it was kind of like both of us, uh, sorry, all of us putting in that work to create something really special. And from there, it was kind of like, well, why don't we do more of this? Um, so the, the boys said to me, do you want to join the podcast team? Um, not just as a video editor, but you can be a host or you can, you know, take part in the podcast we do. And I've been on it for about a year now and I absolutely love it because um, it's funny. I've never really thought about being a, a host on a podcast or anything like that. But I absolutely love talking to fans of opposition teams. Um, I love hosting episodes with the boys and, and getting our opinions out there. And it, it's kind of quite it's a bit like therapy sometimes, especially after this season uh, when you all get together and you discuss what's going wrong and um, you you sort of uh, unpick everything that's going on at the club and it's been really great for me and I'm really really grateful that the guys have, have asked me to do that um, and yeah from there I guess because people have that confidence that you you can talk well on a podcast that then it opens up more opportunities so like this for example obviously with you um, I've, I've done um, podcasts for um, opposition team so I did one with Lincoln the other day um, I, I've done a lot of previews before games I've done an Ipswich one um, I've done oh God, I'm losing track I've done a, a Birmingham one um, a Birmingham one was just like a, as, a, as a guest on their podcast um, because it's not necessarily if people are in our league but um, you know it, it can be like people appreciate the fact that it's just another female football fan um, but yeah, it, to be honest, I had a text from my friend the other day saying, mate, how do you get the time to do all these podcasts? Because I've done so <laughs> many, so many. I did the third tier as well, not so long ago. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's just been really enjoyable meeting all of these people from all these different clubs, but meeting them obviously virtually because it's all over podcasts or it's over Zoom. Um, and I've made friends from that um, and people that I will look out for whenever we play each other. Um, in the future, we'll meet for a pint. So it's really lovely to grow that sort of community of football fans. Um, yep. And on top of that, it's uh, I've had uh, BBC Radio Bristol. I'm a regular on there. I'm on, I'm, I was on their show this morning. I'm on their show on Thursday evening. Um, ITV West Country. Um, so I sometimes will have the um, <laughs> the camera come to me and they'll film me for an interview. Um, BBC Points West as well. Um, obviously, all very local news, but um, still 
uh, quite nice that they they thought to ask me. Um, obviously, they asked me on Saturday if they could come and film me uh, before I watched the Portsmouth game. But I said to them, I'm not watching it because I knew we were already down. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite nice to have these opportunities come about and, and grow in a, a community of, of football fans that I, I now would consider friends and I would meet them for a drink at away day. So yeah, it's really it's really nice and beneficial to me. Good to hear. And I think um, certainly from my, from my perspective as well, um, when you do put your opinions out there, by and large, you get um, some people may, may disagree with what you say, but mm -hmm. the vast majority of people disagree with you in a, in a, in a respectful way and in a constructive way. Mm -hmm. But just occasionally, and I have had it myself, not very often, but I have had it myself where somebody has come at me, as it were. Mm -hmm. And that's not a very nice experience. Um, I'm hazarding a guess that that might be more prevalent for you. Um, is that a fair statement? No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've had, especially during lockdown, I've had the brunt of abuse um, thrown my way. Um, the boys that I do the podcast with have actually said, like, Kaz, your opinions are no different to ours, yet I'm the one that gets all the abuse for it. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, let's not be around the bush. It is because I'm a woman. <laughs> it's, it is. Like, you know, I've had... Um, Obviously, the, people can disagree with my opinions, but sometimes they would disagree with my opinions and then throw in uh, how I look, um, throw in my weight, say about how, um, like, you know, use derogatory terms like slag or bint. Um, they'll, like, point out my breasts and so stuff like that, that that makes me, like, a bit of a target. There's been a lot of stuff that I've said which has been no different to any other gas ed on these platforms. And if I say something that people agree with then um they'll retweet or they'll like and because i've got quite a large following already that sort of then gets retweeted onto the wrong people's timelines um and then so if anyone doesn't like it or disagrees with it then suddenly they'll they'll jump on the whole let's be sexist bandwagon and then they'll mm. get likes off the back of that and then people will see that they're getting likes because they've they've made a really offensive comment towards me and and other people then want to do the same thing and get those likes as well um I've had obviously the classic get back to the kitchen um I've had people quote my tweets and saying this is why women shouldn't talk about football and it's kind of like I'm just tweeting about my club um it's just like I'm doing no different to what anyone else is doing um I've had one experience where someone came up to me in person and called me a, a see you next Tuesday um, because, mm -hmm. I, because I've done vlogs, um, which is what we're doing on our YouTube channel, which is what me and the lads do, just say our opinion, but they do it in a video format. Um, was that a, a fellow Gasset? No, it's a, it was a Bristol City fan. Um, right. But again, it's like City fans, they, well, there's a lot of them that just don't like me purely because I support Bristol Rovers. Um, so they'll take to Twitter and... They'll, they'll talk about me, but they won't tag me, but I still see it because people send it to me or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I've had a lot of nasty comments from City fans just talking about how I look, um, calling me a cow and a bin and stuff like that. Um, and it is hurtful. I won't lie. It, is, it, is, it's re it really has made me struggle um, with anxiety. I've lost sleep over some of the comments I've had. Um, and the only thing that stopped me from completely dropping off social media um because i had thought of deleting my account i thought of dropping out the podcast um the only thing that stopped that is the support that i've had from the football community so the the good people on social media the 
uh, there was a one time where I wrote a, a jokey tweet about Wickham, but yeah. I've, I've got friends that are Wickham fans. So it's kind of like always been a back and forth thing for years. Um, so all I did was laugh at the scoreline. Like I didn't murder someone. I didn't write anything racist or controversial. No, the only and... murder that if I remember rightly, the only murder that was done that day was to Wickham's defence because they conceded <laughs> seven at Brentford, didn't they? That's it. And like I, I don't know, if, like you remember when this season when Liverpool lost seven two to Aston Villa, yeah. and my whole timeline was laughing at Liverpool. It didn't matter who they supported or or what, where they were from. People were laughing because it was just it was just funny. Um, but for me, I didn't even think twice about the tweet. Um, I just wrote it and then I sent it to my friends and I was like, hey, like, here we go, like laughing at your scoreline. And then it started doing really well because people found it funny. But then again, it reached the wrong people. Um, and I went, I wasn't even on, I, I forgot about it. And I went back on Twitter, I don't have my notifications on. I went back on it a couple of hours later and the abuse was like something I've never seen before in my life. And it yeah. was just like, a lot of stuff that was being said would never be say, said to a man. Um, obviously, a lot of a lot of it is just like a lot of derogatory comments and yeah. Um, and dare I say it, um, a lot of that stuff because because I, I remember the tweet um, and I remember the backlash. But dare <laughs> I say it, that, that a lot of the things that were said to you over those tweets, they wouldn't be said to your face. Oh, absolutely! Like I've only ever had it once to my face, which is what I've mentioned earlier. But that was just a drunk city fan that you know so it'd be funny to say that in front of his mates um but yeah I've never really had anything anyone actually come up to me and say these things I, I don't believe that they would um a lot of them didn't have profile pictures or if they did have profile pictures there was like 20 of them in the profile picture um uh, they're just hiding behind these accounts and that's the problem with social media is that people can do that um mm -hmm. and yeah I, I found it really really difficult because it was quite late on when I noticed all the abuse and I started fighting back, even though I, I kind of didn't want to do that. But I, yeah, I started fighting back and then um, I put my phone away and no one really saw it. I, I had a few messages on the night, but no one really saw it until the morning. I thought I'm not going to delete the tweet because I want people to see what's being said to me. Um, so I, yeah, I, I remember I didn't get much sleep, but I was like, just don't go on your phone, don't, don't go on your phone. And I was, um, yeah, I couldn't sleep. I felt really anxious. I felt like I was backed into a corner and everyone was screaming all sorts of me. I had Rovers fans turning on me as if the, the defeat to Rochdale was my fault. Um, they were saying, how dare you tweet this when we've just lost? I was like, it's a joke. It's just a joke. I did not think it would like backlash like this. Um, and then so uh, I managed to get, I think, about two hours sleep. And then I woke up really early and it was about 7 a.m. But by that time, I'd already had a flood of messages. Um, and then throughout the week, I think I, I went off Twitter and I didn't go on there for ages. Um, but I came back and I had 171 messages in my inbox and they were all just support. And people yeah. just saying, like, I'm so sorry you've gone through that. I had... Um, Bristol Rovers players messaged me. I had Daryl Clark send me a, vo a video message. I had Jeff Twentyman, the presenter of Radio Bristol, get in touch. And all of that um, just lifted me so much because I was, yeah. the, the time, the, the, the days where I was off Twitter because I was too scared to go back on, um, I, was, I was in a really dark place and I, I just felt like I, I didn't want to put my makeup on. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to get out of bed. I just felt really low because of all the stuff that people have been saying to me. And I suddenly felt like the most hated woman in the world. It was it was really awful. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the messages of support. And obviously with you, like, thank you so much. Just like, taking that time out just to tell someone that like 
not everyone hates you and we don't agree with what's been said and we appreciate your content just those those small messages of support just meant everything to me and uh yeah got me back on my feet for sure mm -hmm. and was it in the, the the next few days um after that there was a you, you wrote a very very eloquent blog on which i believe was was posted on gascast um if not gascast then another one but it just explained um what it was all about i'll have to try and find it and link it into uh, into the description of this particular episode um just to just to for, for people to read how it felt um did you find that in any way therapeutic um and was that a um uh considered piece as it were or was that just bang writing from the heart so um with the blog i started it up it's, it's stepponthegas.org which is like my own little website that i've created yeah. um and i started that up because i wanted to start writing about my experiences at away days so i quite enjoy writing and twitter is only a certain amount of characters so you can't get it all down in a tweet so i thought oh, i'll start up a blog if anyone's interested they're interested and if not then it's fine because I, I quite enjoy it anyway um so i started that and i had only done about two or three blogs before I wrote the the one about the abuse. Um, and I guess I was I was so overwhelmed by all this support that I thought, you know what, maybe I should share the experience that I've had from it. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just I just sat down one evening and I just got everything that I was feeling inside. And I was just open, I was honest, and I just said, this is what's happened to me. Um, and I, I didn't shy away from anything that I said or did. I, I think I even put the, the, the tweet, a screenshot of the tweet that I wrote in the blog mm -hmm. because I was like, everyone can see it. You know, it's not, I'm not going to shy away from anything. I had someone contact me saying, mate, I've been scrolling down your Twitter for ages trying to find what the hell you've said wrong because he's seen the abuse. And he thought I'd said something racist or something like that. And he, he, he couldn't get his head around why the reaction was so bad. I mean, I still can, if I'm honest, but it still goes on now. They're, they're still really angry about it, really like not happy with me about it. But I f like, there's nothing I could do. It's been said now it's out there, um, like whatever, isn't it? It's just to stop being so aggressive and abusive. There's just no, no need for it. Um, yeah, yeah I've, I've seen today, sorry to interrupt, I've seen today also that there's um, there's one of your tweets that's been put up on the, um, is it the, the, the tweets that precede unfortunate events account. Um, and presumably today you've had yet another pile on. Yeah, so that account, I think it's like, yeah, it's, it's tweets, EFL images that precede unfortunate events or something yes. like that. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. So that account, obviously, they put me on the first time when the whole Wickham thing came about, fine. Like, no problem. Like, it is quite funny because Rovers went and lost 6-1 a few days after, so that is funny. Um, and I could deal with that, and that was fine. Obviously, I didn't read the replies or anything like that. I sort of stayed away, put myself on private, deleted Twitter for a bit. Um, and then they did it again with another tweet. So I tweeted about Luke Leahy, and then they've grab taken a screen grab of that and then he scored an own goal that day again fine like that is unfortunate whatever it's not a problem um but now what they they've done is they've gone back to my tweets from last year midway through the season after i was happy about a result and they've posted me again mm -hmm. and in my mind i'm like okay so you know you've already used me twice on this page you know i got a load of abuse lately now it's starting to feel like you're targeting me a little bit because there's so many Rovers fans that would have tweeted after we had that little run of form 
saying that they were happy with the performance. There's loads of Rovers fans that said about promotion. There's loads of Rovers fans that said it was the best transfer window they've ever had. And even digging them up themselves and saying, oh God, how wrong was I? But no one but me is being put on this page. And I had a couple of people contact me saying, this page, I think they might be a bit obsessed with you. Like it's starting to look a bit obsessive. The fact that they've had to go back to last year just to dig me out on something because they know that people will laugh and abuse me from it. So they've dug it out. And, and then that that's where it crosses the line for me. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. you don't need to use me again. You've already had your laughs out of it twice. And then a, a lot of people were kind of backing me on it saying, you're right, that is weird. That is overstepping the mark. And my friend did say, it was like, that is actually, that is outright bullying now. Because he's just, he's, they've gone back to try and find something to get me for just so I will have another pile on of abuse. And that to me, that's why I wrote the tweet. I wrote a tweet yesterday saying, I just want to be left alone. Like one day they might leave me alone. Um, But I just feel now they've So go on. Yeah. So I've also seen that you've now locked your, your Twitter account. um, Yeah. Which is unfortunate really. Um, But at least then you do get the, the, the degree of policing you're following then, don't you? Yeah, so I had a lot of a, a lot of Wickham fans try and follow me that I obviously said no to um, because I know that they're only following me just to dig up my old tweets and give me abuse. So it's um, yeah, it was, a, it was a hard no for me there. And yeah, it's sad because I, I I really enjoy um, tweeting about football and I, I always like to to have a laugh on there and put memes and stuff like that. But um, I just don't think it's worth it at the moment. Maybe one day I'll be able to come back off again. But at the moment, whilst relegation is still raw, I know I'm vulnerable to abuse. Um, And I had a couple on Tuesday because I forgot. I I had it in my mind I was going to lock my account. Um, But I was a bit late with it. And then we went bottom of the league on Tuesday. Relegation wasn't confirmed yet. But then Wickham fans started digging up my old tweets and quoting it and and it was all coming through. So I was just sort of like, block, 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 block. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it's not very nice, but I guess, yeah, going private is one way to stop them trying to dig me out for things I wrote last year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, as you're talking, I'm just sat here shaking my head thinking it shouldn't be like that. And from my small platform here, which hopefully will grow, um, personally, I would just urge everybody in not just the football community, but in society, to just desist from doing this. Mm. Because it, it, why? What, what purpose does it serve other than to essentially stamp down and clamp down on, on somebody who you don't know from Adam or Eve, who may be vulnerable? And it's just, like, like you said at the very start of this particular section, it was just a jokey tweet. Mm. Why, why why does a jokey tweet deserve that level of abuse? Uh, it, it doesn't I don't I don't understand. I simply and I never will understand why. Yeah, I, I, I thought that maybe by now that they would have maybe forgotten about it or gotten over it, but they have it and it's just like I, I just think to myself, if this is a man that has done this, I mean I saw one the other day that said um, it was from a Bristol City fan and they said, um, why did Wick, Why did Little Wickham even bother turning up today when they'd gone? City had gone one nil up. Mm-hmm. Didn't get anywhere near. <laughs> anywhere near what I got. I just yeah. think, what is the difference? What's the difference? No. But what we can say, by and large, other than the, the past few months, which have been clearly quite rough for you, 
mm. the whole podcasting experience. You've had a lot of positivity out, out of it. And I know I've spent, we've spent 20 minutes talking about this, mm. um, but I think it's important to focus on those negatives so that we can stamp them out. But yeah. you can say that, that it is a very positive experience um, overall. Um, and, yeah. and, and all, all power to you for, 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 for persisting with it. And we're well, not persisting, that's the wrong word. For, uh, for for carrying on with it, you know, persistence yeah. makes it sound like it's a uh, chore. Uh, it's a, it, yes, exactly. It's not a chore. It's clearly a love. It's clearly a love. Yeah. And carry on doing it and taking the um, the positives from it. Yeah. Difficult to ignore the negatives. On I can't speak from any degree of experience from the level that you've had it, but I have had people uh, uh, come at me before, very mm. occasionally, and it's not a nice experience, even yeah. from my position. So. But carry it please carry it through because your content is actually very listenable and very readable so oh, thank you carry it on thank you i appreciate that and i appreciate anyone that has got in touch i mean obviously all those messages it was just so overwhelming in the opposite way uh when you feel like you've had um like that you talk about the the people coming for you i felt like i had that on a scale times a hundred that night and it was just it felt non-stop and then it was the other way it was complete opposite when i had the, the flood of support coming through um uh, yeah like they it, i would encourage anyone if you ever see someone getting targeted online just drop them a message of support and just say look we're not all like this. We're all here for you because the difference it makes is just, yeah, it's, it's huge. So following on from that very negative um, uh, last 20 minutes or so, we tried to put as much of a positive spin on it as we possibly could, but it's still not a nice thing to talk about. Going to go into a new little feature, which I want to take on with um, all of my guests. Um, quick fire five. So five very simple questions. I just want you to answer them off the cuff with um, why and, a, and a, you know, we'll have a little chat about, about the responses afterwards. So okay. Question one, your, the best game that you've ever been to? Dagenham and Redbridge at home when we scored in the 92nd minute to get all that promotion. The best away ground that you've visited? Ooh, uh, Stamford Bridge. Best season that you've had following the gas? Conference season. Best ever away day? Uh, ooh, it's a good one. Um, Portsmouth away, Fratton Park. What season was that? I don't know, actually. I've been there a few times when they were in League Two, I think. Right. And your favourite current gas player? Oh, <laughs> Well, <laughs> oh God, uh, Luke Leahy. <laughs> okay, or of course we can change that to your favourite all-time gas player. <laughs> oh, favourite all-time, uh, Ricky Lambert. Okay, right. So there's there's a there's a there's a six there. We, we'll go with the, we go with the um, the significant six rather than the five five. <laughs> that was a cruel question. <laughs> <laughs> so. Best game, Dagenham and Redbridge, automatic promotion. Um, so uh, we've touched on this game before in this in this recording. Um, clearly, it's the season. So you were National League in fourteen fifteen, promoted, and so this will be two thousand and sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was your uh, you've been promoted from the National League and got promoted to League One at the very first attempt. Yeah, that's it. Now Dagenham have been relegated, hadn't they already? Um, yeah. Did they? 
I, can't, I forget the scoring sequence here. Did Rovers take the lead, or was it the Dagenham that took the lead, wasn't it, in the first yeah. half? Already been relegated. Of course they went 1-0 up. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, and you, you turned it around, and it was... And, and do you know what? There are, there are some videos... I don't necessarily always watch Reading videos. I watch other videos as well um, of goals like uh, Andres Iniesta against Chelsea um, is one of them. Um, and this is just one of those goals that I really, really like to watch because it's in front of, well, I know it as the Blackthorn end. Is it still the Blackthorn end? The Thatcher's end now. <laughs> Another cider. <laughs> Goes for the territory, doesn't it? Um, yeah, so it's the Thatcher's end. Um, it's in front, and that's your 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 vocal end, isn't it? Yeah. Um, at the mem, uh, and we said it before. I said it before. Bristol Rovers give good limbs, and this is just limbs because <laughs> it's almost that desperation followed by almost immediate pandemonium because you'd hit the post, didn't you? Yeah. And it just came out beautifully, and you'll have to remind me who scored. My memory doesn't stretch that far. Lee Brown. Sure <laughs> Lee Brown. Um, and he, he taps in the rebound, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, I, yeah, again, similar to that Wembley experience where it's just that that euphoria, that single moment when it's hit the back of the net was just incredible. Um, and you look back and you think, thank God Matty Taylor hit the post. Thank God it wasn't him that scored, that scored the goal to get us promoted. Oh. It, it, it had to yeah. be Lee Brown or someone or Chris Lines. It had to be someone like that someone who was a legend not someone who turned out to be a judas so um yeah, yeah so, out- just just going on about matty taylor um for the people that don't necessarily uh follow bristol football hey. matty taylor you signed him from bristol city didn't you or no, did he go to bristol he, city he went to bristol city on the last day of uh the january transfer window in the last minute but there was something weird about it um that his basically his, his contract information got leaked to bristol city somehow and uh they activated the 300k release clause to sign him and mm-hmm. uh daryl clark did this very cryptic interview about how he knows how it got out uh but he's going to keep it to himself and just something a bit weird about how how it all got out and uh how matty taylor yeah was happy just to jump jump ship and leave us behind so yeah, yeah it's not a fan favorite anymore <laughs> No, no. But just going back to Dagenham, again, the two, two, you obviously had a very successful season back in the Football League mm. um, and it just culminated with this one moment in the, something like the 92nd or 93rd minute, yeah. shaking cameras abound, um, <sighs> limbs all over the... Oh, there must have been some broken legs in that in the Bristol Rovers. End, I, I, I went flying. I, like, me and my mum, straight down those steps, but you just don't care. Like, you just, everyone just surged. It was... Just that moment where, yeah, it was. We had about thirty-six shots, I think. The stats say thirty-six shots, and we were. It was similar to the Mansfield game. We were just shot after shot after shot after shot. It wasn't going in. Their keeper was on fire that day. He didn't need to be. They're already relegated. Why did he need to be like that? Um, but it, yeah, it's ninety-second minute. Matty Taylor has a shot off the post, and it falls to Lee Brown um, on his right foot as well, and he's left-footed. And it, yeah, he, he couldn't miss. I mean, the pressure on his shoulders must have been massive because. Um, he did an interview after and he said the players know because of the atmosphere in the ground and he can, they can hear people shouting, oh, you need to do a score and we're promoted, score and we're promoted. And uh, yeah, then obviously that second, 
that went in the ref you're then looking at the ref looking at the linesman is it going to be disallowed and then the ref does that thing where he points to the kickoff spot and you know it's just it's confirmed it's there it's done yeah He's ripping off his shirt. All of the subs and Daryl Clark are running off the bench, all piling on. Fans are on the pitch. We're all flying forward. It was just like, it was just incredible. And uh, the only thing that put a slight dampen on it is that Atkinson were still playing and they were nil-nil. So if Atkinson had scored in that five minutes, which felt like the longest five minutes in the world, <laughs> five minutes stoppage time, then it would have it would have been all all over. But luckily, Stevenage, God bless. I'll always love Stevenage for holding on and keeping that at nil nil. Um, yeah, it's just absolutely incredible. So was that was that for promotion or was that uh, was that for um, winning the title as well? It was um, it was automatic promotion. So we were in the playoffs and it was in Accrington's hands to all they had to do was win. Um, right. And then Oxford. So we needed Accrington to lose and Oxford to lose but Oxford are winning 3-0 and it was that Accrington game that was 0-0 all the way to the very end we thought if Accrington score now then then we're, we're gonna have to settle for playoffs but luckily 92nd minute upsets Lee Brown we crept into third place we hadn't been we hadn't been top three very much that season I think once we went in there um, so it's very, very much opposite to the relegation out of the Football League season. We weren't in there for, for very much part of the season. But um, yeah, 90, 92nd minute of the game, we crept in there. And I, I had to feel for Accrington fans at that moment because they, they were devastated. I think they lost the playoffs as well. But yeah, yeah it was just, just amazing. I, I will never, ever get an experience like that in my life again. And I know I won't. It was just amazing. So we talk about the best away ground. And you said Stamford Bridge. Yeah, I mean, I've been to quite a few good ones. There's been a lot of good ones, um, to be honest. But I think it was the atmosphere at Stamford Bridge which helped it. The gas heads were so noisy. Um, and the only one I put close in terms of atmosphere would be Fulham away, where we took 8,000 in 2008. Um, mm -hmm. Just the noise that those, those gas heads made in the shed end at Chelsea. Um, and we scored two goals against the likes of Fabregas <laughs> playing as like Stuart Sinclair of his little beard playing up against Fabregas it was just that yeah it, it was amazing and yeah it's it's a difficult one that one um to, to think of my head but that Sinclair beard was an impressive effort it's got to be you <laughs> just didn't look like a footballer this, did he? this just... blonde just, just, just this blonde mound of hair underneath his chin it's just, yeah, yeah. I, I remember it really quite well. And the, the away end um, at, at Chelsea, I quite like the away end at Chelsea. Um, yeah. It, you, particularly if you're in the upper tier, you've got a uh, you've got a good view of the pitch and you can create a good racket there in an all-enclosed stadium. Um, I, I don't mind it there. It's quite good. Yeah, I mean, like, there are probably people that probably disagree with that. But to be honest, I can't think, obviously, I've supported a League Two slash League One club my whole life. So there's not actually very many impressive stadiums that I've been to. Obviously, Sunderland's quite impressive. Um, but I can't really think of any any impressive state apart from Wembley and Millennium Stadium off the top of my head that I've been to. Um, other than, yeah, I did just quite like the shed end. Like you said, the atmosphere we created under, underneath because I was on the bottom tier and it was it was just so noisy under that that roof. It, yeah, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. The best season, we said the conference season, and we covered this a little bit off earlier. Mm. Um, so, yeah, 
Oh, just I recap mean, quickly. Just just selling out every week and winning winning five nil. We won seven nil. It was just it was just a laugh, and it was like I said earlier that going to all these interesting little grounds and all these new places. If we hadn't gone up at the first attempt, I wouldn't be saying that it was the best season ever. But it's because we did, um, and it was just a laugh, selling out, winning every week. What's not to love about that? Was, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody could ever take that away from you either. Exactly. Um, the best ever away date. So we said Portsmouth. Yeah. I, I really like Fratton Park, actually. I, I think in terms of atmosphere, um, it's, it's such a great place to go as an away fan. Um, they're really noisy. They, they've got, obviously, a really impressive following, haven't they? Um, and, yeah, I just, I just, I've always, it's always one that I look out for um, when I'm, when the fixture release day comes out because I, I, I love going to Fratton Park. Um, but, again, there's loads. I love going to Plymouth. I love going to Sunderland, obviously Newcastle Weekender, can't go wrong. But I also love going to Swindon, 20 minutes on the train. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's loads of different away days that I love for all different reasons. So that was a really difficult one. And, yeah, the only reason I said Fratton Park is because of the atmosphere from the home fans and the away fans and the yeah. the way that they they build each other up and create this this rivalry for the game and it's, it's you go one nil up and you're like ah and then they equalize and it's like they give it back and yeah that, that's what swayed it for me i think but again yeah, really that, tricky question there's a there's um it's a begrudging praise that i'll give portsmouth because there's no love loss between portsmouth and Reading. Mm. um but um back in the day um the milton end the away end didn't have a roof uh so it's very difficult to get any kind of atmosphere going Mm. Um, but now they, they they stuck the roof on in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably the only improvement they've they've, they've done at Fratton Park in the last 30 years. Um, <laughs> but you're absolutely right about the um, the atmosphere and what is really really impressive. I remember going to Fratton Park first off in my first visit there was 95. What is really impressive about it, even back then, was that the noise comes at you not just from one end like most clubs or one side. It comes at you from all angles. It rings, doesn't it? It rings. It does. Around. Yeah, that's it. Um, and it's just, it, it is it is really really um, incredible. And if there's not if there's any again any football fan that's never been to Fratton Park, even as an away fan or as a neutral, get yourself down there mm. because it really really is an experience like no other. Um, I think that's feel. a re- that's a really good choice actually. Yeah, I just remember Goodnight Irene just ringing around and it was so loud. And I watch old videos back and it, it gives me like chills down my spine because it's it's just such a beautiful sound, the sound of North Bristol. And it is so loud under that roof. And and then, yeah, when Portsmouth fans are trying to outsing you and the whole, yeah, like you said, you can hear it from all angles. And yeah, you've nailed it. That's there, Brit- Brit- British football. Yeah. British football. That's it. So you said you for... Uh, Favourite current gas player, Luke Leahy. <laughs> yeah. Difficult I mean, question, sorry, but, you know. <laughs> well, I, I, I was going to go Luke McCormick, but he's on loan from Chelsea, so I was going to go for someone who's actually ours. Um, and Luke Leahy, bless him. Um, he's one of the very few that can take credit from this abysmal season. He's our top scorer and he's a left-back, so it kind of says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Um, but, yeah, he's he kind of... Um, He's, he's one of the very few that showed a bit of fight this year and he's he's one that I sympathise with because he's been let down by by the absolute shower that he's been surrounded by. Um, so, yeah, I, I really hope he stays as well. He's, he's already come out and said he wants to stay and he wants to try and 
help us fight and get promotion from League Two. And I just love that attitude. Um, he's a leader. He's our captain. He's, yeah, it's going to have to be super Luke for me. And Ricky Lambert, your favourite all-time uh, gas player? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, I was almost going to say JCH as well. Um, Jonathan Clark-Harris. Yeah, so the, the memories that JCH gave um, when he first... And it's kind of a bit like, who the hell's this guy? He ain't got a very good record. Like, what are we signing him for? And he single-handedly saved us from promotion, uh, from sorry, from relegation that year. Um, and just a, just a really intriguing guy, I think. And uh, like his goals, he was one of those can score out of out of nowhere. But um, yeah, it's it's a tricky one. I think Lambert probably does edge it because I'm thinking about twelve-year-old me as a fan girl and uh, getting into it. And if it wasn't for Ricky Lambert and, and his goals when I was younger, maybe I would never have got into it as much as I did now. So I kind of owe him everything in my life, to be honest. Um, so <laughs> I think, to, to be fair to Ricky Lambert as well, um, I think he owes a hell of a lot to Bristol Rovers, doesn't he? Um, because yeah. he, he, he was um, a, a nomadic player up until that point. He'd been at Rochdale, he'd been at Stockport, um, Rover signed him and suddenly started banging in the goals from all angles. Yeah. And not only not only banging them in, but he, he was also able to create. No surprise that he ended up on a big money move. Mm -hmm. Surprise was that it ended up in a, a, a club who at the time were in the same division as you in Southampton. And at the time when he went to Saints, I wanted Reading to buy him. Yeah. Um, and I went on our message board at the time, hobnob anyone to say, I want us to go and buy him. Clearly, yeah. by my opinion, counts for absolutely nothing of the inner workings of a club. We didn't. <laughs> we didn't. He mm. went to Saints, um, and a season later, it was uh, he was helping Saints get the Premier League alongside yeah. us. Might 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 I add? Um, but uh, you know, from from Saints, from then on, of course, he ended up at, at Liverpool. He gets the England cap. He scores within thirty seconds of his England debut against Scotland, of all teams. Like his, a proud um, <laughs> yeah, his his career. I mean. You can't, and, and do you know what? On top of all of that, um, not only is he also an extremely likable bloke, mm -hmm. but he played the game honestly. There yeah. was no falling over at the slightest hint of a touch to get a free kick mm -hmm. here and there and everywhere. Um, he was just an extremely likable and successful player. Yeah. Who got his? Who got his dream move to Liverpool? I mean, he's a scouser, isn't he? Just and, so deserved yeah. it. He deserved every everything that he got, every move that he earned. Like he he, he deserved it. And like you said, he's likable. Every time I'd met him, he was very. He's one of those who was very um, affectionate, sort of right word. <laughs> but like he gave time to the fans. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, down to earth. Yeah, he just like he was never too big for his boots. He was, uh, which is a, a problem which a lot of players have these days. I think. Um, yeah, he was very honest bloke. Um, like you said. And yeah, absolutely deserved it. And I'm glad that he, I know it didn't really work out at Liverpool, but I'm glad that he managed to get that move to, to the club that he supports. Because, um, yeah, working in a beetroot factory before he signed for Rochdale or whoever it was. I mean, what a, what a career he's had, eh? Yeah, yeah, quite. And nobody can ever take that away from him. Yeah. Um, and, and fair play to him for that. So what we can what we can say um, we're gonna we're gonna finish it up here but yeah right the gas have been relegated now um, but there's positive things on the horizon we've talked about your new stadium and your new training ground mm -hmm. um, potential rebuilding you've got a relatively new manager in charge who hopefully will get 
um, for you guys will get um, the backing and the players that he wants to get you back up to uh, to League One at the very least. Um, hopefully, um, certainly if Reading stay in the uh, in, at the same level, hopefully in the not too distant future we'll be uh, we'll be rekindling our frosty relationship in, in future. <laughs> I hope um, so. Yeah, because um, I think. I've always, I've always considered. I started watching football in the late '80s, early '90s, and of course, that was Bristol Rovers' heyday. Mm. Uh, you had the likes of Ian, Ian Holloway leading the team. There's that classic footage at Twerton Park uh, of you beating Bristol City to gain promotion to Division Two, as it was back then in, in old old money. Yeah. Um, uh, and I see no reason why a club. I, I, it always it strikes me as weird why a club the size of Bristol Rovers can't at least get to the championship. Because you've seen plenty of other clubs, and demonstrably smaller clubs like Yeovil, like Scunthorpe. Um, Don't see Wickham. Uh, that was yeah, yeah. I see where you go <laughs> with that one. All couples. Don't see Wickham. That's it. But you know what I'm saying. Demonstrably yeah. smaller clubs who have been at that level sometimes have, uh, have have stayed at that level for for, for two or three seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, these clubs, they don't have as big a support as, as Bristol Rovers. They don't potentially have the um, uh, the financial uh, uh, well, muscle, is the word yeah. I'm looking for. Um, Rovers are a club that should be playing higher than where they are. Trust keep me, we're trying. We're trying. <laughs> I'm sure you are. So just keep the faith. And with every with every downside, as I said earlier, with every downside, there's always there's always a positive side. And to appreciate the positives, you've got to go through the, through the downsides. Absolutely. Um, Kaz, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Um, enjoyable. Quick note, follow me on Twitter. Uh, my personal Twitter handle is at handbags82. Uh, more importantly, follow the podcast. Please, please, please follow the podcast. I just want more followers. <laughs> um, so the, 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 the podcast uh, Twitter handle is at Terrace Memoirs, funnily enough. Follow me on Facebook. There is a Facebook group called, again, funnily enough, Terrace Memoirs. Any feedback, if you want to be on the show or anything along those lines, um, please email me as well. There is a Gmail account going, terracememoirs at gmail.com. <laughs> um, I happily take um, any any constructive criticism or um, uh, I'll, I'll happily take praise as well, if you, if you so so desire. I don't, I, I, do you know what? I really don't care. Just email me. Just email me, please. I've not had a single email from anybody yet, and this is episode six. <laughs> so just email me. Um, that's the end. Um, as I say, Kaz, thank you very much. Um, hopefully the gas will be back soon. Thank you so uh, much for having me. Keep the faith. It's been an absolute pleasure. and We'll, uh, we'll no doubt talk again soon. I'm sure. Thank you so much.